Hello and happy Friday evening. It's another episode of Bible Ask Live. I'm Tina here with my friends Jane Wendy as well as our friend Landon here this week. Hi guys. Hey. How's Hello. It going? <laughs> Hi everyone. And we just want to welcome everyone to our live broadcast show. We want to just remind everyone that this is live. So if you have questions or comments or anything you want to say here on our show, right here, right now. Go ahead and put them down in the comment section. Tell us hi, tell us where you're from and just how you're doing. And so we're just so happy to have everyone here together to answer questions from God's word here live tonight. Um, we just wanna remind everybody that if you have questions that you'd like answered on the show on a weekly our, our weekly show, be sure to um, plug them in at bibleask.org forward slash live and be sure to like um, all our content and share it with your friends just to go ahead and witness and share the gospel with them. And we're mm -hmm. so excited again because tonight we get to answer a lot of questions um, that we've got in this week. But before we do, let's go ahead and open with a quick word of prayer. Uh, Landon, would you mind praying for us? Sure. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for uh, just all the light that you've shed upon us and uh, just your word. And I pray that as we open it up to not just you, but the world right now, that uh, you just send your Holy Spirit to interpret to all of us and all the minds what you want us to hear and what you want us to know. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, Wendy, did we get a few questions? We have a whole bunch of questions tonight. So let's get that first one up. And while we are, we'll welcome Olivia. I saw Olivia say hi. Thank you for joining us, Olivia. And if anyone else is out there, please feel free to say hello and tell us what blessing you received this week, some way that you saw God show up in your life. We would love to hear from you. Put that in the chat and let us know some way that God showed up in your life this week. Amen. And let's let's get that first question up. Question numero uno. There it is. Okay, so Gloria is asking... How, how long is a generation in the Bible? Do we still need to follow the feasts that the Jews followed in the Bible, or were they done away with when Jesus died on the cross? All right, my friend, uh, Gloria. I think that's a really great question. It's actually two questions, which is cool. I like that. <laughs> Bring it on. Uh, so to answer your first question, as far as how long is a generation in the Bible, the quick answer is 40 years. And you'll find that if you look in the book of um, Psalms chapter 95, verse 10. And so if you go to Psalms 95, verse 10, it reads, I don't know if it's going to be on the screen. <laughs> Psalm 95, verse 10. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So this is, um, uh, King David is speaking about um, the Israelites, when they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And there's another verse um, during that time, you'll see in Numbers 32, 13, again, where God talks about that he wanted this generation to pass. And that's why it was 40 years that they wandered in the desert. So um, biblically speaking, that is, that's the time frame as far as that goes. Um, and just so you know how um, 
a lot of people think, you know, well, that was kind of mean of God. Like he wanted all those people to, to get out of here in that time. But if you read in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses four and five, it talks about God's long suffering and how he called them during that 40 years to repent and to do the right thing and turn back to him. But they were just stiff necked people. So it, it wasn't that, you know, God was just, you know, waiting to wipe them out or, or whatnot, but God waited those 40 years being grieved uh, because he kept calling to those that first generation, but they didn't respond to God's calling. So he had to wait for the next generation where Joshua stood up as leader of Israel. And we see that at that time they went into the promised land. Um, so as far as your question about the feast days, that's a really valid question because um, it's interesting when you look at feast that it talks about, like if you go to um, Exodus chapter 12, verse 17, and it's talking about the feast of unleavened bread. And so um, Exodus chapter 12, and again in verse 17, and it reads, um, I'll go ahead and read it there. It talks about, you know, and you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. Now, you might think it says, you know, forever or an everlasting ordinance, meaning like you're all it's always supposed to be observed. And that's a very, you know, logical thing to to conclude, you know, to come a conclusion to come to when you read that. However, you have to look at a few things in this verse that it's saying one, you have to look at the fact that it says as an ordinance. Now, when you look in the New Testament and it talks about, you know, that Jesus took the law and that was contained in ordinances and that was what was nailed to the cross. You see that in Colossians 2:14. So the ordinances of the Old Testament like the feast of unleavened bread, feast of booth, these kinds of feasts, these were ordinances as part of the law of Moses. This is not the law of God. Uh, the law of God was written in stone by God's finger on two tables. It was placed inside of the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place in the sanctuary. It was the the basically the heart of the sanctuary, the heart of where God desired to dwell with his people. Um, however, these ordinances, uh, which were called um, the Law of Moses, if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verses 24 through 26, um, basically, actually, before we do that, we jump to that. I want to show you Colossians 2.14 because it says something very interesting just so that you get a clear picture. So um, Colossians 2.14 is about the handwriting. So handwriting, not God's finger. Moses's handwriting of ordinances that was against us, very key, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So those feast days that are ordinances written by Moses, those are what was nailed to the cross. Um, but when you look at, um, again, so just remembering that those things were against God's people. If you look in Deuteronomy um, 31, verses 24 through 26, again, it's just so you know what it's talking about. Because a lot of people get confused because they don't read the Old Testament. So they're not sure what was nailed to the cross. So in Deuteronomy 31, verses 24 through 26, um, it says, and it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book, so on paper, until they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites, which bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, take this book of the law 
and put it on this in the side of the arc. So again, it's not inside of the arc like the Ten Commandments were, which were you know God's law. This is Moses's law, handwritten on paper or a scroll, and it was put on the outside next to the ark um, as a witness against thee. Again, so just very clear, um, the ordinances or those feast ceremonial laws, those were laws that Moses wrote, and they pointed forward to the Messiah. They were to teach something about Jesus who would come as their savior. But when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus fulfilled all those pieces. That's why we don't keep sanctuary services. We don't keep feast days anymore because Christ fulfilled those as the perfect lamb of God who um, gave himself for us. So I hope that answers your question. Anything else? It's interesting in the Bible how Jesus, like in Matthew 24, I think it's verse 34, Jesus says, Most assuredly say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Mm -hmm. So, um, and he's talking about like even end times events. So sometimes I think even generation can mean something way longer, like maybe an entire disposition dispensation mm -hmm. but yeah i think you're you're dead on tina that um in your explanation <laughs> you know especially in the context of of the jewish law yeah and what's interesting is jesus gave that prophecy in matthew 24 that this generation wouldn't pass in AD 30 and we know that jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70 exactly 40 years later so um because it was a dual prophecy so yes it was a mm -hmm. literal generation but it was also like a, a spiritual generation. He was saying that there's going to be a generation, spiritually speaking, that's going to bring about the second coming of Christ. Exactly. So, yeah, that's where it's, it's amazing how the Bible can have multiple fulfillments. And if we get too literal, put it too much in a box, we think the Bible's inconsistent, when really it could be doubly consistent, doubly right, if you really dig, dig deep. So, awesome. Uh, next question. Sure. Let's land it. Oh, oh, we got to say we got to say some hellos. Yeah, we, we do. But did Landon, did you have anything to add on that one? I don't yeah. know. The thing is, I'm sorry, guys. I kind of just got excited. But so I used to keep the feast days and I'm sure I don't know. You guys have been a part of those things before in the past. But it's just like. I'm always amazed how people are so adamant to keep the feast days, um, but they're not adamant to keeping the exact rules and regulations of those like slaughtering of the lamb or other things like that and or the cleansing period that you need to go through to go through all that stuff mm -hmm. when, I, when i've been to these other places assemblies or other churches you know i'm just kind of like well you know you're you're telling me that i have to keep these but at the same time you're not keeping all these things yourself because you know what jesus christ was the ultimate lamb he was the ultimate sacrifice yeah. and you know I think there's many amazing lessons and children should learn more and more about those feast days and how they represent mm -hmm. Jesus. Um, and we may be doing a bad job of that, but to say that we need to keep the feast days, you know, that definitely has been, you know, Jesus has already fulfilled all those things. Thank, you know, thank goodness. Cause I'm, I wouldn't be any good at like slaughtering a lamb at this point in my life. You know, I just, uh, I would not, my stomach wouldn't do well with that. But, uh, but yeah, that's such a good point. So. Yeah. And, you know, you think, too, like there is a lot of benefit in understanding what the feasts were about. And especially when you think about like a lot of the holidays that 
we celebrate it traditionally today in America, or I should say commonly, yeah. you know, they aren't like the feasts have a more biblical usefulness than what say Christmas and Easter often do. You know, yes. Easter yeah. views if it's about the resurrection, that's different. But if it's about bunny rabbits and eggs, like that's not about the Bible. So yeah. there's a beauty, I think, in um per you know, in 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 celebrating the feast in a sense of learning about using it as an opportunity to learn about biblical things. Yeah. But to say that we have to keep it as a matter of our salvation, like that's not yeah, yeah that doesn't doesn't make can sense I, today. Can I share one beautiful example? Yeah. Um, how to maybe teach yeah. your kids. So somebody taught this to me and my brother when we were like 18 and getting into this, but they said, go home and just cleanse your house of leaven, right? So we went home and we were still living with our parents at that time. And we like threw away all the bread and like everything. And my mom was furious. She was like <laughs> she was so mad, but she wanted to follow God too. But she was like, what are you guys doing? And, uh, you know, we got rid of all the bread and we were like so stoked. We did it, all this stuff. So we, we go back, we talk to that guy a few days later. He's like, did you get rid of everything? We're like, yeah, yeah, our mom was so mad. And then he's like, did you know there's leaven even in dust? And we both like looked at each other, like my brother and I, and we were like, well, how could we get get it out of our house if it's in dust? And that's when he pointed to us that you can't get sin out by yourself. You have to have Jesus Christ to take that sin out of your life. Mm. You know, and that was like so powerful for us when I realized I can't take that leaven out myself. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's in the fester. I need Jesus Christ to do it because there could be a small little corner of that dust there that I didn't notice that he will. So, and he'll take it out eventually in a nice, kind way. Sometimes in like not so kind, maybe he'll just throw it out. Wow. So. That's a brilliant illustration. And I think a lot of the Jewish laws are supposed to end that way where it, you keep it fulfilled, you do everything and you still realize, well, this still doesn't get all the way. You know, even the sacrifices didn't quite forgive all the sins. Yeah. And and we really need Jesus. Yeah. Yep. Amen. All right. So as we move on to our next question here, I want to welcome uh, some of our viewers. We've got Natalie, we've got Vanessa, uh, Gaurav, Audi, uh, Ran, Jer, thank you guys so much for joining us, and um, we are glad to have you here. And I'm going to ask you again to tell us one way that you saw God show up in your life this week. We would love to hear from you. Um, if you've said hello, if you're listening, if you haven't said hello, um, tell us, please, one way that you have seen God show up in your life this week. And we will get to celebrate that together. Um, all right, let's get our next question up here. Question number two. So we're, it's a good segue. We're talking about Jewish traditions. Now let's talk about a different tradition. So Andres is asking, who imposed the celibacy order on priests? St. Paul? So this is a good question. First, we can look at the Bible. There's a couple verses where they talk about celibacy in a sense. One is Matthew, Matthew 19, starting at verse 12. And his context, people are talking about uh, divorce and Jesus, you know, saying it's a big deal. Divorce isn't good. And the disciples are like, oh, well, maybe, maybe it's best not to get married. And then Jesus says, 
For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. So some people aren't able to procreate because of how they were born, what happened to them. And there may be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. And so there Jesus is saying, especially that last part, those who are willing to make themselves eunuchs, those who are willing to not have kids, who are willing to just be single. Jesus is saying, like, if you feel that calling, go with it, receive that. But he's not saying you need to be a eunuch. All of us should be eunuchs. No. Then we go to 1 Corinthians 7. And this is one of those major chapters talking about um, talking about this matter. And Paul, you know, as uh, the questioner Andres said, you know, did Paul institute celibacy? So this is Paul talking, and he begins in First Corinthians seven verse twenty-five with this: "Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord." So what he's saying right now is okay. God doesn't have you know, a commandment on this, but he's going to give some guidance as to, you know, one who's inspired by God. And he says that it is good for a man in verse 26 to remain as he is. And in verse 27, it says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loose. You know, stay, stay in your marriage. Um, if you don't have a wife, he says, it's good to stay as you are. But even if you do marry, he says in verse 28, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. So, what's he saying here? He says, it's not a sin to get married. Absolutely not. But when you get married, you now have the troubles of two people coming together, and sometimes that can slow down what really matters. What really matters is spreading the gospel. That's the number one most important thing. But depending on, you know, who your spouse is, you know, she's really worldly, or if it's he, he's really worldly, that might really hamper your spiritual development and your ability to do what God wants you to be doing right now. So that's Paul's point, you know, and now again, you could be burdened by someone else and, and um, get in the way. But, but, I mean, I would say like for me, I prayed for a ministry partner and God Brent brought Wendy into my life and you can see like we're doing ministry work together so th to me this is ideal marriage and how it's supposed to be and the happiest marriages are the ones that are centered on marriage so that's some free or sorry centered on ministry so there's some unsolicited uh, marriage advice um, and you could just keep going on and on down through this chapter of first Corinthians 7 and Paul keeps emphasizing again the same concept that marriage is not bad Marriage is fine, marriage is good, but marriage can complicate doing what really matters at times. Now, Paul himself was not married, and he says so in 1 Corinthians 7, 8. Um, but even some of the disciples, um, including Peter, was married. Matthew 8, 14 specifically talks about how Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And if we go to Hebrews 13, 4, Hebrews 13, verse 4, let's put that up. This is a very important verse. It says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But, you know, so, so that is a good thing. Marriage is good. There's nothing to be ashamed of about, um, 
about sleeping with your wife. That's what God intended. It's when you're doing that stuff outside of marriage that is a horrible abomination. Now, what's really interesting is 1 Timothy 4. This is uh, very important. 1 Timothy 4, starting at verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, and this is Paul speaking, in later times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. Forbidding to marry in verse 3. Uh, among other things, and you know, commanding to abstain from foods. I mean, go down the list. So one of the things of the sign of, of apostasy that's going to come in the future Christian church is the forbidding of marriage. So when, where does this come into Christianity now? So around the year 305, there was this Council of Elvira. So Christians from all over, um, you know, Christianity probably more than, more around that time was the same, more like Orthodox Church. And there are different patriarchs, different groups, and they come together at the Council of, Vi of Elvira. And they decide there that all clergy should, should, be, should abstain from their wives and not to have children. So that was the decision of that council. Uh, that was Canon 33 that came out of that. Then you have Constantine who comes along and he actually got rid of that. But then in the 11th century, you have Pope Gregory VII who issued a decree requiring all priests to be celibate. So um, depending on the timeline, when you look at it, th those are some of the key developments of when and how we see celibacy getting into the Christian church. So that's... Uh, that's my understanding. Do you guys have thoughts? Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Len. Oh, just because I lean forward? Or... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I just know that I would probably be, maybe like last year or the year before that, but I mean, I would be in like, you know, Africa and the deep jungles proclaiming the gospel, but Rachel just doesn't like bugs. So there's, I mean... There are real hindrances, you know, to when you get married for the gospel. You just got to work those. <laughs> so, but I think as far as you know, celibacy, forcing celibacy on a priest, like biblically speaking, that's there's no grounds because, like, if you look at priesthood in the Old Testament, that's the only place you even see priesthood. In the New Testament, you don't see priesthood anymore. But in the Old Testament, when there even was priesthood, they had to be married. The Levites, they were they were commanded to be married and to have children because the priests were sons of priests. And so, like you see, the sons of Aaron were the priests that would take his place. And so it was so important that there was a lineage of priests. And so to me, that doesn't make any sense to have priests that can't get married and have children to raise them up in that environment of priesthood and that holiness. And so, I mean, just you know, speaking from a biblical perspective, like I just don't see any logic in, you know, saying, oh, if you want to be holy, that means you, you can't get married because I mean, you know, like you're saying, Jay, I totally agree that your marriage should be based on, you know, ministry. And I think, you know, obviously, yes, there's, you know, things <laughs> you're, you know, you know, sometimes taking care of your spouse can, you know, get in the way of, you know, maybe doing something 
big or grand you think for the gospel, but I mean, marriage really refines your character and makes you ready for heaven in a way that nothing else does. And so, mm -hmm. and in fact, that's where we're really in the image of God, because the Godhead is a unity of beings, yeah. and this is getting to experience something that Jesus says we're not going to have marriage in heaven. So it's an incredible experience that we get to mm -hmm. have here on earth. And as you said, yeah, it, it really does help perfect character. And and I think it's important also to understand that like God doesn't call everyone to do like big huge things. Like we're actually it's the little things. It's on a regular basis and it's yeah. the it's the <laughs> how you show up for people in the little moments that is actually the big things that god wants to have happen like i mean how much more meaningful is it to watch some big name preacher on tv versus like somebody who understands the love of god showing up in your life in the moment that you really need that and being there for you with god's love and yeah. care like that's immensely more powerful than yeah. than yeah. you know and if you go with is it ephesians 6 model you know where women respect men but men love your your wives like that's that there is get, telling us practice for heaven like men practice loving like jesus mm -hmm. and especially practice that on your wife like i have learned so much about love from wendy and what she's taught me about it i wouldn't i wouldn't even be close to the same person i am today if it wasn't for that so i'm totally grateful for god choosing me calling me to be married but but i think this is a key distinction is yeah god says some people's proper for you to be single that's nothing to be ashamed of and paul said paul was proud of that you know, but then for me, for Tina, for Landon, God has called us to be married and given mm -hmm. us spouses that we could work with mm -hmm. and, and do ministry purposes with. So it's whatever you're called to do. Don't mm -hmm. listen to what other people tell you. They don't know. Listen mm -hmm. to God. Amen. Yes. Amen. And I'm very grateful for your love. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for yours. <laughs> All right. We do have a couple comments from... Uh, we'll start with, with uh, Nasherim. says it's a Catholic doctrine. Most Catholic doctrines are not supported by the Bible. Um, it, you know, some are, some are not. But yes, that's a. There are certainly plenty that aren't. Um, and we have. And and I would say a lot of Christianity has that problem. Yes, it's not. Yes, not every just on them. Yeah, every every group has things that aren't. Exactly. Oh, and yes. <laughs> Happy birthday to my wonderful husband here. And happy birthday to you for <laughs> in two days. <laughs> happy birthday. We are very close together. Vanessa. <laughs> Vanessa wrote one of the sweetest notes I've ever seen about talking about me. I'm like, I don't deserve such nice things being said about me. But thank you, Vanessa. That was very touching. Yes. Happy All right. Let's go ahead and get our... Thank you. Let's go ahead and get our next question up here. By the way, this is one of four days in a year that I'm actually older than Wendy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, they say you're supposed to be close in age to your spouse. Well, he, uh, he, he was born four days ahead of me, so we are very close in age. Very cool. You, oh, today's my mom's birthday. So, Mom, if what? you're out there, oh. Yeah. Happy, so, birthday happy birthday to your mom. mom. All, these, all these April birthdays. <laughs> 
with all the fourth of july babies (laughs) and yes i did chop off my hair i'm glad you guys like it i like it better this way i like it too (laughs) i definitely like it so much nicer i hadn't cut it since i had it this short actually before like a month or two before covid last year and then i just hadn't got it cut all through covid and at that length it had to go so all right, let's get our next question up here. So we're like 30 minutes in and we got we have a lot of six questions, questions left. So we're going to have to pick this <laughs> yeah. up. So Stan is asking, Revelation 10, 9 to 10, what is the little scroll, Lamb's book, and Bible? Okay, if you or, guys don't or mind. Or is he maybe asking if it's the Bible? Yeah, I think that's sure. that's what I understood. That's okay. Is that okay if I grab this one? Because I really like this question a lot. Go for it. Um, So it's really interesting um, when it comes to Revelation chapter 10, um, because this is kind of a random plug-in that happens in the middle of a big event. So if you read in Revelations, uh, Revelation chapters 8 and 9, you see it's the beginning of the seven trumpets. So um, basically, you know, the, the seven seals are opening and then the last seal opens. And at, as the last seal opens, um, in, in chapter eight, then um, God calls for seven trumpets to blow. And the, this takes us through a, a line of, um, you know, devastations and things that happen on the earth that are to happen before the coming of Jesus. Now, um, it's interesting because um, eight and nine, you get through the first six trumpets and then there's the seventh trumpet that needs to sound. But then chapter 10 happens. And so this event is kind of telling you, hey, near right before the last trumpet blows, right be- very soon before Jesus comes, this event is going to take place. And so um, there's very, something very interesting in that says in the chapter that tells you what this little book is. And if you go to Revelation chapter 10, verse 4, it says something very specific about um, the message here given by the angel um, that tells you what this little book is. So if you go to Revelation chapter 10 and verse 4, it says, And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. So it's talking about that this time, this message um, from this angel that appears in Revelation 10 and um, he utters seven thunders and gives a little book to to John. And this, um, but with this, the message basically, because an angel in the Bible is basically a messenger. It's not necessarily a literal angel, just like, you know, the three angels messages of Revelation 14. It's not a literal angel, you know, proclaiming with a loud voice these things. It's God's people giving a message. And so there's a message here in Revelation 10. And part of that message is seven thunders being uttered, but those things are sealed up. Now, what is the one place in the Bible where God says something is sealed until the time of the end? If you don't know, I'm going to tell you because it's in the book of Daniel. If you look in Daniel chapter 12, it reads, um, and I'll just first time sake, I won't read it, but I'll just tell you where it is. In uh, Daniel chapter 12 and verses... Um, sorry, I wrote it down, uh, four and nine, both of those times, basically God says, seal up the writings of this, uh, of this prophecy for they are till the time of the end. And so basically this little book that's given to John is the book of Daniel and specifically those prophecies 
that, you know, Daniel really didn't understand. Like Daniel finally understood Revel or the prophecies of Daniel 8. You see that in, in chapter 10. But the prophecies of Daniel 11 and 12, he really doesn't understand. And, and God says, this is sealed up to the time of the end. So it's not until... Was, was, was it the book of Daniel or was it the book of Revelation? Like Daniel was given the book of Revelation. So the, and that was the one the that was sealed book, up. Let me just make this make sure it's clear. The little book that's sealed up is the book of Daniel. And I believe that is the book that the angel gives to John to eat up, that in his mouth will be sweet as honey, but in his belly it will be bitter. Because um, this is a message given to God's people near the end of time, right before the time of the end. And we know that um, the time of the end is after the 2300 days of Daniel 814, because it says unto 2300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And that's the last day of the Jewish year, the day of atonement. And so um, it's at the end of the 2300 day prophecy, which um, if you go into Daniel nine, you'll know that that begins at the pro proclamation of, you know, the freeing of God's people to rebuild Jerusalem, which happened in 457 um, BC and it ends in 1844. So basically there's going to be a time where God's people near the time of the end are going to eat up this little book. It's going to be sweet in their mouth, but in their stomach is going to be bitter. But the last thing that the angel calls John to do, it says, thou must prophesy again. So there's going to be a special message from the book of Daniel that God's people are supposed to give during this uh, time of the end before Jesus comes. And if you read the book of Daniel, we've now can understand it based on the prophecies of Revelation, um, as you understand both the books of Daniel and Revelation together, because you really need both books to understand these prophecies. So in a nutshell, <laughs> that little book of Daniel, or excuse me, Revelation 10 is the book of Daniel, um, because that's what was sealed up until the time of the end. And um, just as the seven thunders were sealed, but it, um, at, for, at God's people at first, you know, their first understanding, they thought this was sweet, but it ended up bitter. But then God's people then have to process, you know, the truth of the book of Daniel, the truth of the book of Revelation and um, and prophesy again and give a message of prophecy before the coming of Christ. Uh, do you guys have any other thoughts on that? So we have a comment from Anthony Cox and he says um, his first comment, but John's book is not sealed because the time was soon. Yes. Um, I think that's a really so, good point. And oh, back sorry. to what you're saying. Yeah, no, and that's true because if you read in Revelation chapter 22, and that was another point I was saying is the book of Revelation is not sealed. Um, if you look in Revelation at the last chapter, 22 and verse 10, it says, don't seal up this book because the time is at hand. And so um, like you're saying, you know, Revel the book of Revelation is not the little book. It's not the Bible. Um, it's the only thing that's sealed up is that book of, of Daniel. So anyways, that's just my <laughs> my thoughts as well. Any other ideas, Landon, uh, Jay, Wendy? We had a couple of that comments here from Anthony, if you want to put those up. Sure. He commented that the end of the age occurred in 70 AD, and we no longer live according to the law of Moses. Jesus gave us a new commandment to love one another. I'd like to, okay. Um, as far as the end of the age, you're talking about 70 AD being the end of the prophecy of Matthew 24. Um, but I'd like to know what um, 
other prophecy you're talking yep. about that ends in 70 AD? I mean, there are references where, like, even, uh, like, John, some of the apostles, uh, New Testament writers, talk about we are now in the last days. Mm-hmm. You know, so so there was a change in dispensation. Like, we, in a sense, the end time sort of started even then. But we've reached even now a point where there's no more times. All prophetic time has even been fulfilled. So, yeah. as, as one person really puts it well, we're now, like, in a football game where time has run out and um what's, what's that called when that happens overtime. overtime that's it yeah we're now in overtime is kind of what we we're are. in landon yeah, what what do you think i think it was said perfectly honestly i mean i had a point but i i can't remember it now i was looking at the comments uh um, oh, we can come back to it yeah uh, gaurav has a, a question Hi guys, do you understand that what happened with you is God's blessing, or vice versa, it's punishment to teach you? I think he's referring to marriage. I think so too. And definitely I say marriage is a blessing. Huge blessing. And we both felt God was our matchmaker, God made it happen, and yeah, it's it's like a daily gift that keeps on giving. Yes. I, I... I can't think of any other comparison. It's just so incredible. Wake up every day, Mm -hmm. go to bed every... go to night. Go to bed every night, just so grateful for having a spouse in your life. I mean, that's how I feel. And when marriage becomes a punishment, I think that's often when someone made their own decision about who they wanted to mm-hmm. marry and didn't consult God, God with that. Yeah. yeah, or they're not willing to submit their own will and uh, work as a team. I mean, yes. I, I think the only right. example in the Bible of where God is punishing somebody and it was really more for an example when it comes to marriage was just with hosea but in every yeah. other marriage example you know yeah. it's really supposed to be a blessing and god you know all good gifts come from god mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times we do rush into marriage um and uh but i believe that god really wants to use your marriage to not just be a blessing for yourself but to be a blessing and a witness to literally your entire community and the world mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason why laws protect marriages, um, because in places that don't have these laws, you see chaos, um, in other countries. And and there's been tons of studies on this stuff, but, you know, you need to protect, you know, your marriage. Otherwise, you know, and we're starting to see those things happen in this country now too, Mm -hmm. where a generation has passed by and it's like getting worse and worse because we're not holding marriage to the standard that it, that God wants us to hold it to. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but it should be a blessing. God will never punish us. You know, he'll allow us to fall uh, if yeah. we're running towards yeah. something that we shouldn't and we're not willing to let go, but he's not going to yeah. punish you on purpose. So, yeah, no. And, and the thing with marriage too, you know, not every day is roses and rainbows and, you know, realistically, you know, marriage sometimes is work and it's, yeah. you know, sometimes it's mm-hmm. hard. But it doesn't mean it's not a blessing, you know, just like when you go to the gym, sometimes you don't feel like it, you know, you don't feel like exercising, (laughs) but you never leave the gym being like, oh, I wish I didn't go. No, you feel good. You're just like, you know, that was tough, but I'm so grateful I went because I feel so much better and I grew, I got healthier because of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's truly what marriage is a lot of the time too. It's not just, you know, happy feelings. 
um, you know, there's a lot of choices that you have to make in marriage to, you know, make it work and, and make it something good. So anyway. yeah, I can't tell you how many people at work I've told uh, that marriage, you know, anything worth having is worth working for. And it's kind of like climbing Mount Everest. Um, you know, you can't get the best view without the climb. And that climb has literally almost, you know, killed people <laughs> to doing it. But, you know, you're going to get that amazing view if you put the work into it. And But it mm-hmm. takes work. It takes preparation. Yeah. It takes, you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like, commitment. Uh, you know, it's the university that you never really graduate mm-hmm. from. Uh, you just keep learning yes. new phases of life. Kids are a brand new thing. Uh, yeah. for, you know, my wife and I or other people, it's like, it's a whole new level of marriage and you got to go with the flow and learn. Like, it's like, a yeah. school, you know, so. Yep. Exactly. All right. Um, we better keep moving here on questions. Although we actually have a couple more comments here from Anthony. Um, do we want to go through those or should we? Say it real quick, and then um, if it's a long question, we'll maybe have to table it as a question for next week or something like that. We'll see. Okay. So, so the first one says, yes, the gospel was confirmed going out to the world. We say Christ in us, so why are we looking to the future? Oh, we actually have a question that's almost right along those lines, so I think we can... Cover it with that? Yeah, okay. we can come back to that. And then we that. have... Um, that's a good question. Another one here... Uh, Death is no more as most believe we shed the body and step into greater reality. So where is death? Study preterist views. There is a very good case for 70 AD to be way more significant. I was a futurist and now see the greater evidence for it. And uh, we also have a comment here from Michael. Michael Soto, lively, guys. You guys are all chiming in here. That's true. We do no longer live by the law of Moses as the Israelites did. We have always lived by the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the law that Christ said, I have not come to abolish, but fulfill. Matthew 5, 17. Jesus didn't erase God's law when he said, a new commandment I give you. He just summarized the Ten Commandments. For this, Paul says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Certainly not. Instead, we uphold the law. Romans 3, 31. Amen. Amen. So, Thank you, Michael. So, um, Anthony, I think we'll come back to your death question maybe next week, because that's a real good question. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm glad to hear that you're really studying the issue and trying to figure it out. That's great. And maybe we'll give you some uh, new ideas next week, too. And um, and then I think the other question Anthony asked, he actually was the one who asked the other question that we will get to. So, yeah, so, um, we'll get right. there. And just um, like our director is showing you, bibleask.org forward slash live. Be sure if you do have a question and maybe, you know, we're running out of time tonight. But um, if you have a question, you're just like, you know, I really want to ask this. and I want it on the show. Uh, we'll be sure to answer it next week. If you put that question on our website, bibleask.org forward slash live. We'd love to answer your question and give it yes. the time it, yes. and attention it deserves. Excellent. tune in next week all right question number four let's keep this moving all right so verena is asking what does paul mean when he says he that speaks in a tongue speaks not to man but to god albeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries so, Verenia, great question, and I know a lot of people struggle struggle with this. I think I did too when I first studied the Bible for myself. 
So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 14, starting at verse 2. 1 Corinthians 14, starting at verse 2, and we're digging into the word of, uh, or the word as written by Paul, the Apostle Paul. And he writes, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So this is the verse he's referring to. For no one understands him, however, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. So what is Paul saying here? We can actually figure it out from the, re the, the context of the rest of 1 Corinthians. And he says, but he, so there's this key word. The next word is, but, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself but he who prophesies edifies the church. So, basically, tongue is another word for language in the Bible. They, when they refer to, oh, you speak in a foreign tongue, they're saying, oh, you speak in a foreign language. Um, and then you can have different types of languages. So there's, um, for example, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 talks about, Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am but a sounding brass or clanging symbol. So he talks about the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. Like I think we, we could both agree that human race has various languages, and presumably it makes sense that angels and in heaven have their own language. And maybe maybe there was that language spoken by Adam and Eve here on earth at one time, and then through the flood, through thousands of years, maybe it's been lost. Maybe it's still a remnant in language we have today. Who knows? And we also have the Tower of Babel, they introduced, and you go back, you look, it says God confused the tongues. So, oh, squeaky chair. So, basically what Paul's just talking about is when you're speaking in a tongue, you don't know what you're saying because it's a foreign language to you. If you're speaking in Spanish and all you knew was English, it's going to be, it's going to be a mystery what you're speaking. And God will always understand what you're saying. So you're always speaking to God whenever you're you're moved by the Spirit and will be saying something. And if you actually keep reading in in First Corinthians, Paul says you really shouldn't. Um, let's see, um, verse nine of of chapter fourteen of First Corinthians. He says, "So likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongues words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken?" For by the tongue, words are easy to understand. How will, uh, sorry, um, for you will be speaking into the air. You're just saying words, then, it, it, and then it's gone. Nobody heard it. There are, it, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Why do languages matter? Because people understand them, he's saying. Therefore, if you do not know the meaning of the language, I, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and... He who speaks will be a foreigner to me. And he goes on to say, you must always have an interpreter when someone is speaking in tongues so that someone understands it. Mm -hmm. So that it's worthwhile to speak in tongues. Otherwise, it's a worthless gift. Why did God give tongues? So that the message of the gospel could be spread mm -hmm. across the world to all nations, kingdoms, tribes, and tongues. So, do uh, you guys have thoughts? Anything to add? I know Tina has spoken on this subject several times. She's probably an expert on speaking in tongues. No. Nope. No, I mean, I, I just it. think 
Yeah, no, you covered it well. I think we can go keep moving unless Landon, you have something yeah. else you want to share. Y'all mute. We'll, we'll keep moving. I think that was a no. He's on mute, but. <laughs> yeah, I heard the no. All right. We're coming. Yeah, I was just speaking in tongues there. So. <laughs> Couldn't understand it. <laughs> uh, I, I translated, it. right? I, right. You, you didn't have any anything else to add? <laughs> no, no, that was beautiful. I, I really. All right. The message was interpreted. Yeah. All right. Question number five. This is Anthony's question. All right. So Anthony is asking, why is it Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, but rarely hear about the kingdom in today's churches? And uh, Anthony also asked earlier today that I think follows up on this. Yes, the gospel was confirmed going out to the world. We say Christ is in us. So why are we looking to the future? So. All right. Hello, Landon, Jay, who wants to take this one? Go Landon, ahead, Landon. The tongues. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, I'll let you Jay, take okay. this one. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> um, so it's interesting that let's look at Luke 17, 20 to 21. Luke 17, 20 to 21, and it reads, Now when he, referring to Jesus, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And so Jesus has said that the kingdom of God has come. He, he, what does he mean? It was he was now proclaiming the gospel in people's hearts, and that the keys to the gospel, the key to heaven, is the gospel, and it opens people's hearts. It gets them, it prepares them for being a citizen of heaven. Right now, today, we could be citizens of heaven. We don't have to necessarily, we don't have to see ourselves as Americans, as Filipinos, as Indians, whatever. We can see ourselves as citizens of heaven today because christ brought that now we are there in that time now um we call this in a sense the the kingdom of grace and there's going to be another coming in an, an institution of another kingdom and that's going to be the kingdom of glory but right now we can approach boldly the throne of grace and there's more verses along this matthew 13 um 31 to 33 and i think this answers the question of why don't we preach that the kingdom has come. And, you know, so we're talking about Jesus says it comes by observation. Most people aren't going to see it. These, Jesus gave a couple parables. parables. Um, Matthew 13, verse 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in the field. Like, if you go look in the entire field, are you going to see that mustard seed? We're going to miss it. It's just going to do this small little thing in this gigantic field. But what happens, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it, when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and ascend its branches. And Jesus goes on with another parable um, in verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. But we were just talking about cleaning the, the whole house out of leaven, right? And because the Bible generally says it's a bad thing. But here Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. 
which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. So, so a woman takes that um, starter with the leaven in it, mix it with the other dough. You can't tell where the old dough and the new dough was. You know, eventually over time, that, that yeast just permeates everything. Mm -hmm. But you don't see it. Um, you don't see that happening. So that's what Jesus is saying. Like, so many people are going to be caught off guard. They're not noticing that the kingdom of heaven is here now, that they can get into it now. Mm -hmm. And some people might think they're in it or on the way to it, and not realizing they might be actually walking in the opposite direction. So, mm -hmm. um, so Anthony, maybe we approach this differently than you. Uh, love to know your thoughts. Uh, also, Anthony says, um, yes, we have access to the New Jerusalem now. It's a picture of us abiding in Christ. Well said. I really like that quote. So I think that's exactly right. Sorry. I think too, um, I, I think that, you know, the, Jesus says, you know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But I think too, like when it talks about preaching the kingdom of heaven, I think about Matthew 24, verse 14. And I think in a sense, you know, we are living, um, you know, in God's kingdom. We are he heaven's citizens or citizens of God's kingdom now on earth when we accept Jesus Christ. Um, I definitely think, you know, you can know that you're saved um, as long as you abide in Christ. But I think, you know, when you look at Matthew 24, verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then the end will come. So literally speaking, the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom is a precursor to the second coming of Christ. And I think that, you know, we fail if we think like, this is all that there is. Like this world is all there is. God is saying, no, this world is going to come to an end. You look at every prophecy in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter two, when you see the stone that crushes that statue, which is all the kingdoms of the world and builds up a new mountain. You know, there's so many prophecies pointing to the end where Jesus comes and gives the kingdom to the saints. And that I believe is mm -hmm. a future event. I, I don't think we're living in Heaven now. So, if this is heaven, now I am. I'm not so, satisfied. <laughs> so, so I like. So, but you, both you and Anthony are right, though, in a sense of, and I think that's where there's so much confusion. There's sort of two comings of the kingdom. There's sure. the right now. There's a kingdom of grace which has come, and yes, we could be sure. part of the kingdom of grace now. And then at the second coming comes the kingdom of glory, and that's when the new Jerusalem literally will come and plop down on earth, and God will make the earth new, wipe out all wicked. So that's the kingdom of glory. We're not there yet, but right now we are in the kingdom of grace. Right now we can establish our citizenship in heaven right now. And right now we can be ambassadors for Christ right now. So, so yeah, I think that's where the confusion comes. Landon, what's your thought? Yeah, I just, as far as like preaching, you know, why don't we see this preach more and stuff like that? And uh, I feel like I see it all the time. You know, we see the street preachers who talk about the kingdom and stuff like that. But more so, I see people, you know, you were talking about acting like citizens because we are citizens of heaven. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I, with every small gesture and act that you do to your coworker, that you do to, like, you are acting like a citizen of heaven and the kingdom is being preached. Like, yeah. I mean, your actions speak louder than words mm -hmm. most of the time mm -hmm. that's why you know jesus didn't, didn't just Great. say that he's gonna <laughs> die for our sins like he died for our sins you know and it was yeah. his action. so as citizens like you know 
we should be finding ways to, you know, ease people's burdens and, mm-hmm. um, you know, reach out to them in ways that other people aren't willing to do. And, and it, it really is a sacrificial love. But when people see that, they're going to say, hey, there's something different and I want it. And yeah. I think that the gospel is being preached like that, like crazy. I'll, I'll never forget Bill Liversidge or some other great, you know, missionaries that have gone out to places that have pe- uh, people infected with leprosy or the things like that. Um, and I remember one story where nobody wanted anything to do with what they were preaching about. They didn't want to hear about the kingdom of God, um, you know, until they were getting um, like a real taste of like love and you know he started hugging like all the leopard people and uh, he would just go around and start hugging everybody and then they started listening to him or one person contracted leprosy and then they listened to everything he said afterwards and the whole island was converted after that um you know but it's just love um in action is preaching the kingdom wow we got a comment actually to that effect andrew carroll writes maybe you could put up his comment the kingdom to me is wanting to love God and others the way Jesus did. The system of exactly. beneficence. Exactly. Beautiful. Yeah. And so um, Anthony says, New Jerusalem is here. And that's, again, like this is where the, the kingdom is so complicated because, like, yes, the New Jerusalem is here. And there's a lot of Bible verses that establish that the church, God's people, is the New Jerusalem. So there's that. And then you go to Revelation, though, and it also talks about, and Revelation is hard because you have things that are um, symbolic, but then I think you also have in Revelation 21, literal descriptions of the New Jerusalem. And it literally is going to calm down and sit too. So yeah, right now we have spiritual New Jerusalem that we could be a part of today. So you could say, yeah, that when we say the kingdom is here, we could say right now today we could be, we compose New Jerusalem. But there will also be literally a New Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, God's holy city, God's holy mountain, mm-hmm. God's capital will actually come down and land on earth. And we will become here on earth, the center of the universe, which is just mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's how at least we see it. So, but, Amen. Yeah. All right. Shall we get to our next question here? We are getting short on time. Yeah. <laughs> Next question, please. Uh, This one is from Cynthia. Why does a person lose their closest friends they have had for years when you become a born-again Christian? Hmm. Landon, would you like to take this one? Yeah, I'd love to take this one because I've dealt with this so many times throughout my Christian experience. And, uh, you know, some of them may have been my mistakes, but honestly, um, the real gospel just does this uh, to people. It it, it separates, unfortunately. Um, and I, I want to go to a few verses that have helped me, but also, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it is what it is when it comes to the gospel. But uh, in John 15, 18, I love this verse because uh, it really just gets down to the nitty gritty. But it says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And, you know, I just know that from so many things that, you know, I was attached to back in the past, 
you know, it's like all your friends, you're doing all the same things and you kind of take yourself away from that and they just don't understand why you're doing that. Um, and that's why it says in first Corinthians two fourteen, um, but the natural man receives not the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. Um, you know, and oftentimes as we become a Christian, you know, we, we, I mean, we just feel that God is speaking to us and uh, we make decisions. Uh, sometimes we have to stop doing things that we shouldn't have been doing. Hopefully you're doing those things. Um, but when you start doing that, it just seems like foolishness, whether you're you know, not drinking anymore, going to the bars or, um, you know, just other things you may have been doing. And it, it's just, it hurts them because honestly, I, I think it has a lot to do with jealousy. Um, Psalms and Proverbs talks about a jealous friend and who can escape that kind of thing. And, um, you know, they just want to experience everything with you. Um, I do want to say, I don't know. Does anybody have anything to say to that? I have kind of yeah, a- I mean, I think that was well said. And, and definitely it's interesting. You give up your family in a sense, or you might have to, but then you get a whole new family. Like yeah. God never takes away without giving something better in replacement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. All I can say. And when you think about it too, like, you know, I, when, when you go through that kind of conversion and it's a changing of a core fundamental belief mm-hmm. and value in who you are. And that's going to change a relationship dynamic. If the other person doesn't, doesn't share that. And that's, that's just the reality of it. But um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be a permanent separation either. It, it may be a separation for a while, but there's also opportunities to share God's love then with the other person and, you know, be a blessing in their life. And when, when you do that, you can actually reach those people. But there often is this time when, you know, when it's like, whoa, you changed and I haven't yet. And I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to integrate that into my life. And, you know, I don't know if I believe that way. And I have all these questions yet. And, you know, there's everything that that people have to go through. And so um, it, you know, it's, it's, that's just part of the reality of it. But it, 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 but once you have received that God's love into your life like that and made that, that shift in who you are and what you value and what you believe in, um, you know, God can now use you to share that with other people and and reach others. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes God will, you know, uh, take you to preach to your friends and family or your community, um, like the guy who was possessed with Legion uh, or the two men, either way. And Jesus said to go back and tell your friends and family what, what I have done for you. Um, but sometimes you're going to be like Paul and you think, you know, you've been raised your whole life. And you know, like the scriptures so well and the Jewish customs so well. So you think you're going to preach to the Jewish people or your family members, but then God calls you to step away and go to the Gentiles, you know, someone you you don't really know at all. And I'm sure he learned tons of experiences through that. But, um, you know, as far as the friendship goes, if it's a, I'm not, I don't want to say if it's a real friendship because the friendships are real, you know, no matter where you go, but, um, 
the verse in John 15, 13. It says, greater love has no man than this, that, some, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And ultimately, I mean, that's what it is. You, you may be losing your friend um, because of their choice right now, or they may be walking away, but that doesn't mean that you need to stop praying for them. Um, mm-hmm. You need to stop fighting for them for their lives. Um, Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, "A friend loves at all times." My one of my favorite quotes ever because I deal with this whole friendship issue with a lot of different people. Um, but um, Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, "A friend loves at all time." And C.S. Lewis um, once said that the greatest friends that you can have in the world are the ones that you can leave and then pick up where you left off even years later. And hopefully, you know, that's the type of friends that you have where you guys could just pick up later. But, uh, you know, you shouldn't stop praying for your friends. You shouldn't stop fighting for them. You know, we're all, mm-hmm. we are literally all born, like just falling out of the sky. And it's our job to, while we're falling with them, to go give them a parachute. You know, it's like Jesus gave you a parachute and you need to like dive down towards them and get one on them. And if they don't want to, take that parachute then hopefully you can get back to that one time but you know right you just have to pray to god to tell you what to do with the relationship sometimes you do need to separate um and sometimes you know i don't know just don't beat them over the head with the bible because that's not that's not yes. the right thing to do that's what i did yeah. when i was younger so yeah you know i think that's really good advice too um and i just want to say you know to my sister who's asking this, you know, it's, it's part of the price that comes with Jesus. I never forget. I went through a very similar experience. I've actually gone through quite a few experiences similar to this, but when I was first a Christian, the first year when I really was converted, I was really gung ho about Jesus and um, somebody I was very, and I'm still, thank God now close to again. um, But I was extremely close to, and they hated Christianity and to the point that they were violent towards me because of my faith and um, like, <laughs> like almost put me in the hospital because and just would physically try to keep me from doing things like going to church and, you know, watching sermons and just things like that. And um, it was just so hard to to know what to do because I was just like, this person hates Jesus. Like, what am I supposed to do? But God called me to. um to, you know, just to be kind to them and pray for them and love them. And, you know, this person's not in the faith now, but our relationship is restored because I just showed them love and they couldn't not see that my love was genuine to them. And so um, it was a beautiful thing to see that, you know, uh, God was working this miracle in their hearts. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, your friends, they're, they're not going to stick around because, you know, it makes them uncomfortable when you're a Christian mm-hmm. and you're doing things that, you know, you, you know, you're not doing things that they like to do that are sinful. And, you know, it, it makes them, you know, feel guilty or bad. And, and, you know, they just don't, it's not fun for them to do things that you like to do, which, you know, are, you know, things that are more religious now. But I always, um, when I was, you know, thinking about this question that you asked, um, the verse that came to my mind was Matthew 10, 37, that says, that, you know, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And just 
Jesus says, and he that takes not his cross and falls after me is not worthy of me. Mm -hmm. And so really, what is Jesus worth to you? Is Jesus worth, you know, a good time with friends or is Jesus worth more than that? Um, and sometimes it's just the price we have to pay. Like my, my dad one time told me this, um, this, I was being really badly treated by these people that I was helping. And um, I was so frustrated. I was like, dad, why didn't you step in and, you know, stand up for me? He's like, because Tina, sometimes you have to suffer for Jesus. And sometimes that's the price you have to pay for Jesus Christ. You know, that, that, that you suffer as, you know, a, a, a evildoer, but that you suffer for the gospel's sake. And so sometimes, yeah, you, you do suffer and that you do lose friends or, you know, family member relationships. Um, and it's not fun <laughs> at the time, but, you know, if you stand your ground and you stay faithful and you show that love of Jesus, that's going to sow seeds that nothing else can sow. And really, it's going to break that hard ground that nothing else can break. And if it doesn't get broken now, um, God willing, it'll get broken in the future. But, um, you know, I just thank God that he calls us to be faithful and to love no matter where we're at. And, you know, this person that I was close to, like I said, who was so angry with me, you know, when I was first, and I was very young, I was, you know, a teenager when this happened. Um, and they were a teenager too. Um, you know, now we're all adults and, you know, we're, I'm actually very close to this person. And um, they, even though they don't share my faith now, they still support me in my faith, which is a different, totally different dynamic. And I still pray for that person every day that, you know, that they'll one day accept the love um, that I have in Jesus, you know, that they see in me that keeps them wanting to you know, be an, uh, a friend to me or, you know, somebody close to me. Mm -hmm. so anyways. <laughs> so we have a couple of comments. Andrew Carroll writes, it is difficult when you're a young new Christian and you aren't able to communicate your experience effectively. I really can uh, relate to that one where I have my conversion. I'm like seeing things like, doesn't anybody else see this? Like almost like, you know, you see a building that's about to burn down and people are in it like, guys, you need to get out of it. <laughs> and nobody else seems to share your urgency. So, and, and yeah, I definitely didn't have the vocabulary, the biblical understanding and give me a bit more restraint then. So yeah, I totally know what you mean there, Andrew. And then Nancy. Yeah, she said, I think you also lose friends because your lack of interest in those simple things that you are doing will with them makes them feel guilty that they are still doing those things that they know they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, when you when you decide to walk away from something that isn't good for you, that was part of your bonding experience with someone, yeah, they um, that can definitely feel like a bit of a affront to them or make them question that in their or, own life. Or you just don't even have interest in hanging out with them anymore. You just be bored yeah. sick. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think yep. we all, I think we all suffer from. Uh, there was a book one time I can't remember what it's called, but uh, you know, it's saying that we all suffer from shame. Everybody, like, there's just you know a sin, and we don't even know it. Like, we don't even know that we're suffering from it. We're just going mm -hmm. about, but we all know inside, <laughs> like, when we're doing something wrong, right? Mm -hmm. But when your friend starts walking away, or you start to realize, and you know, you're accepting that you're doing wrong, but the other people, you know, they don't want to accept that they're suffering from something or life is good kind of thing. Um, you know, they, um, the shame just really takes over at that point. And yeah. um, mm -hmm. I think that's why we lose so many people. 
because mm-hmm. uh, they just don't want to either feel that shame anymore. Or they don't want to face it. Yeah. So. Yeah. People want to drown out those voices yes. and they'll push away any voice that's, you know, exactly. honestly calling them. Yeah. Calling those things out. Yeah. We had another comment here from Gaurav. Um, should we tackle this one? No, we wrap up? I say that one for another time. Okay. Yeah. We are, I know we are over time here and, uh, it, it, there are a lot of questions there. So Garf, we will add that to the list for next week. So we hope you can tune in next week. And uh, along with Anthony's question, we'll yes. get to yours next time too. Yes. And, and some of your other comments. Yeah. And we just want to thank you guys all for tuning in and being so lively, engaging with us this evening. We love this. We love the comments, questions, interactions, and um, we would love if you would invite other people to come and join us next week when we dive into these questions, uh, you know, finish answering them. We have a few left that came in this week that we'll be tackling as well. So we really want to have a conversation with you like yeah. we got to have today. That, exactly. It's been a real blessing for us. Exactly. Yeah. So we look forward to, to uh, connecting with you again next week. Yeah. So again, um, like our director is showing down here, please like and share. Um, our show, if you've ha- been blessed by it, but if you feel like, you know, this is something worthwhile, be sure to, you know, share it with your friends by liking and sharing. This is the best way and the easiest way really to, uh, you know, spread the gospel to those around you in your sphere of influence, which is always a blessing. And so yes. um, we just want to, again, thank you all for your comments, for your um, for your tuning in and be sure to catch us on all of our social networks on Facebook, on YouTube and on Twitch. And we also are on our podcast if you look up Bible Ask. And so we're going to go ahead and close tonight with a quick word of prayer. Uh, Jay or Wendy, would you mind closing us up? Sure. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for this evening that we can get together, dig into your word, and explore the the, the messages, the truths, the, the hopes, the assurances that you have for us. And I pray that each and every person who was on the stream, who participated, watches, um, that they all be blessed by your spirit, by your presence, and just help us all to enter into your truth and understanding and um, into unity and in you, Lord. And this I pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. And um, thank you, Landon and Jane, Wendy, for joining us tonight, especially to you, Landon. We appreciate your your you. unique view and just your your friendship to us. And so we just... Um... Always. Thank you for your <laughs> guys' ministry. I, I mean, I absolutely am blown away by the ministry. So um... it's all Jesus. So yes. anything good, I, he gets all the I don't want to even think about how much time you guys put into it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's incredible. That is good. That is really good. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much. And we appreciate, again, all of our viewers who, you know, make this ministry what it is because you guys are the ones who are watching us and sharing and asking the questions. That's why we're here for you, um, our viewers, and all those who reach out to us with your questions. We're so happy and blessed to be able to answer them and, and, you know, pray for you and, um, and just try to be a blessing to you as well. So we just pray you have a blessed week and we look forward to seeing you again next week, Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. God bless you.